Alrighty. If that is what could be said about what's happening here today. It's okay. As we talk about this weird book, it'll pick up. <laughs> that's true. At least we're talking about something that's like... uh, Engaging. Certainly engaging. So, uh, hey, y'all, welcome back to 50%. I'm Katie. And I'm Abigail. And, oh boy, do we have a ride for you guys this week. We knew this was going to be a weird one. I don't think I was fully prepared. This was your suggestion, so this is on you. This is on me. Because I saw Sally Thorne and was like, oh, you know. As you do. Big name. Let's see how it is. And also, most spooky Halloween romances are about witches. And so I was intrigued by this one. And boy, boy, oh boy. Intrigued is the right word. Yes. So today, we are talking about Angelica Frankenstein Makes Her Match. Which, a moment of appreciation for the title. A great pun. Great pun. Um, The cover's great. Very, like, Victorian-era romance, which is exactly what it is. Yes. So, um, whoa, this book was fucking weird. Yes. (laughs) I don't mean that in a bad way, either. Not entirely. Not entirely. Uh... I don't know how I feel about this book. <laughs> so the thing that I told you, because I, re- I finished this book mm-hmm. like like a day or two before you started it, right? Right. And so the thing that I told you was to read it like it's fan fiction. Yes. Because it literally is, as I learned in the acknowledgments at the end of the book. Right. Which I did appreciate the warning, but it... It almost wasn't ridiculous enough to be fan fiction for me. Uh, like it kind of was too in the middle of gotcha. where it was like, like it was ridiculous. And I truly believe Sally Thorne knows that, but I almost need it to be even more ridiculous. How does it get more ridiculous than this? <laughs> I know what you mean, though. I know. Yeah, what you mean. I don't know. I well, I also think like Sally Thorne is a successful author for a reason, right? And so it's like kind of. I guess, hard to, like, because she's a good writer. Right. Or I just couldn't get past the thought of fucking a guy who was dead. (laughs) Yeah, there is. Weeks previously. (laughs) Yeah, this is a weird one. Anyway. So here we are for our first uh, spooky romance of October. We're doing a double book club month because we love October. We love a spooky romance. Why not? uh, Yeah, we thought we'd kick it off with this one. We figured we'd get the ridiculous one out of the way before we went to... The witchy one. The witchy one. Because obviously we had to do a witchy one. Of course. And like, listen. Okay, for one thing, I have to apologize for my voice because I feel like I consistently have to apologize for my voice (laughs) on this podcast because your girl's always raspy. But we're always recording this when I am on the heels of some kind of big work thing where I've been talking a lot. Um, we are in Katie's true busy season and yeah. we are both fresh off of a weekend long music festival where Katie was working and I was just there screaming. So we're both a little lower energy today. A little low energy. I feel I, I'm extra Lindsay Lohan rasp today, which is my usual vibe, but but more so today than usual. It's like in Friends when Phoebe has that cold and she's like, I sound so good. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, I have very like a uh, late night. Na- late night Delilah (laughs) radio host vibes going on right now. So now that that's out of the way, what a fucking weird book. So 
Shall I shall I read this blurb? Yes. Let's refresh the audience on this weird fucking book. <clears throat> For generations, every Frankenstein has found his or her true love and equal, unlocking lifetimes of blissful wedded adventure. But clever, pretty, and slightly odd Angelica Frankenstein. Slightly odd is certainly an understatement here. Slightly. Just slightly. <laughs> but clever, pretty, and slightly odd Angelica Frankenstein has run out of suitors, and she fears she may become the exception to this family rule. As she assists her brother Victor in his groundbreaking experiment to bring a reassembled man back to life, she embarks upon a side project that is all her own. When Angelica's handsome scientific miracle wakes up on the operating table, her wishes for an instant romantic connection are dashed. Her resurrected beau, named Will for the moment, has total amnesia and is solely focused on uncovering his true identity. Trying to ignore their heart-pounding chemistry, Angelica reluctantly joins the investigation into his past, hoping it will bring them closer. But perhaps fate is not something that can be created in a laboratory, or is Will, or whoever he is, her dream man tailored for her in every way. And can he survive what was done to him in the name of science and love? So that's that. Here we go. Okay, so so let, yeah, <laughs> let's just get into it. Start us off. Where does this book start, Abigail? So this book quite literally starts with them at the morgue harvesting body parts or bodies, whole bodies. Um, they have done this before. Hang and- on, be real, just went off. <laughs> really oh great we look so good anyway it was time to be real but now we are here talking about being truly real literally the the least real thing i can think of (laughs) so the book so we start at the morgue as you do with uh victor and angelica frankenstein who are siblings and they are harvesting bodies for their science experiments. Listen, I love the opening line to this book. Like, not the prologue, but like the opening mm-hmm. line of the first chapter is so good. It's Angelica Frankenstein knew what physical qualities her ideal man should have. Unfortunately, she had to find those attributes at the morgue. Ugh. And when I read this, I was like, fuck yeah, this is going to be so great. <laughs> that is a very good opening line. And in the prologue or in the uh, author's note, I think Sally Thorne said that was the first line she had written for the book. And then it made it made the cut. Yeah, it was so good. But we do have a prologue before this that's kind of this like cute little scene settery moment where they're talking about like, the house that they're living in, like having, like kind of anthropomorphic, right? I have no idea. Whatever the anthropomorphizing the house. (laughs) Wow. Humanizing the house. Whatever. I'm going to leave that in because we sound stupid, but it's, but it's funny. (laughs) What's new? What's new? Anyway. So they're, they're like talking about this house and I wrote in my notes, like, um, how very Shirley Jackson, of Sally Thorne to start this book off this way. Anyway, so it starts with this like cute little like uh, prologue. For that prologue, you thought Shirley Jackson, a much more uh, cultured reference. Well, I thought of that DreamWorks movie, Monster House. <laughs> a great movie that scared the shit out of me as a kid. What is Monster House if not a modern children's retelling of The Haunting of Hill House? Great point. That makes me feel so much better. Wow. Anyway, we're at the fucking morgue. There's this great first line. And, and yeah, 
they're uh they've done this before they've had many a science experiment with these bodies uh they're friends with the like mortician undertaker undertaker whatever you'd like to call him who's kind of a delightful side character because he's so cranky i know i wanted more of him yeah he's great. like what the fuck is wrong with you guys yeah. why are y'all always here yeah and then uh yeah so angelica finds her man and so we so yeah so yeah. we learn that victor frankenstein is doing what victor victor frankenstein does and he's Building a science experiment, essentially. He, yeah, he's trying to just outshine this other scientist, apparently. Yeah, he's this like other- in, in competition with this other like inventor scientist type man. And he's trying to like, he's trying to do what he does in the actual Frankenstein book right. and bring a man to life. Angelica, however, is at build a boyfriend and is just harvesting the most handsome men she can find. I loved this because... Obviously, it's ridiculous, but it was like a fun thought exercise of like, <laughs> how would I stitch how, together? How would I stitch together a man? Ooh, that's a good question, right? Because I'm not like, obviously, physical attractiveness is important. Well, yeah, but I had never literally been like, I need this type of arms and this type of abs and this type of face and hair. I have never thought of that either. <laughs> All of my boyfriends have looked extremely different. So I'm not even positive I have a type or what I would paste onto my dream boyfriend unless it was 2004 Billy Joe Armstrong. <laughs> my true it's dream boyfriend. <laughs> the second time you've made that reference in the last 24 hours. I know. It, it is always true. I've made it on this podcast too. You, it's That you probably have. Um, but most importantly, Angelica is concerned about dick size. Yes. Oh, my God. There are a lot of dick jokes in this book. Listen, it's so funny because they they generally happen when you kind of least expect them. They really do. And some which, of them which I found so entertaining. Some of them come from her brother to her, which I was like, "Ooh, this is a lot. It's so funny. It's so funny because it's, it's just so over the top. Well, and I've been watching that Netflix show dated and related. Oh, yeah. And so that weirdly ties into this sibling dynamic too you know what you're right plug for that show on netflix i've been watching it all day today i need to watch an episode it's uh it's a ride um anyway so she so she picks the second biggest dick in the morgue you can't be too greedy can't be too greedy yeah no no no. wasn't she genuinely like i think that one's too big (laughs) I think so. I she like asked she Victor, and he was like, I can't answer that for you. <laughs> also, they were using the C word for it, which I hate saying out loud, so I, I won't yeah. do it. It just this sounds is, gross. This, this, is a, this is a C word free uh, podcast. Yeah, we're, we're not prudish by many means, but God, I hate that one. I, I know. It's, it's not even being a prude. It's, it's just, I don't know. It feels very porny. It does. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. 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 Anyway, we're classy around here. Yeah, clearly. Yeah, talking about Frankenstein dick fiction. Um. Anyway, so you know, Angelica is just being realistic. She's like, "What kind of dick would I realistically?" And you know what? You have to respect her for it. So they they take home their their men, their dead bodies, and they spoiler alert reanimate both of them. Yes, and they oh my gosh, they do it by dunking them in barrels of sheep. 
sheep after birth. Yeah. Which did not register for a second until I realized, oh my God, this is like animal placenta. Yeah. So if y'all are looking to do some like light necromancy, apparently sheep after birth. And listen, Sally Thorne, come on the pod because I want to know how... And it's been a long time since I've read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, but I don't think there was sheep after birth in it. I could be wrong. I think you're right. I don't think there was sheep after birth. I don't. I, I feel like I would remember. I. Mm. But I was 17, and I read it for like high school English class. So ah, so did I. I was 15 when we read it, though, oh. in freshman year. Wow. Well, yeah, I don't. Know. I guess it could have been freshman year. What is time? Either way, it was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. Um, so, so I don't know. Sally Thorne, let's talk. Yeah, let's chat. I want to know what you know about reanimating dead people. Right. Anyway, so, so Victor's monster comes to life and runs off, more or less, based on the original story. (laughs) He does, yeah. That piece of the story is pretty accurate. Actually, yeah. I reread the Wikipedia Uh for Frankenstein, the novel, before I started this one. So that was a good little, little jumpstart reminder of, in the original yeah, he reanimates his corpse stitched together and whatnot, and then it just, like, immediately takes off. And is, like, terrorizing the town, which is pretty much what happens in this book. Right. This is, like, the side story. It is, like, the side story. Yeah. Uh, Spinoff. Less murdery. Less murdery. While Victor's off trying to catch catch his guy, Angelica reanimates her, her dream man. Yeah. And... And so so I guess we need to point out that there's sort of been like a body swapping situation done on the two yes. reanimated figures. So these two guys are basically like semi merged, like they have they're slightly different versions of each other. There's some body part swapping. Yes. I should also say this book is kind of confusing. There's yes. a lot going on. Yes, exactly. So our man comes to life and is of course hella confused right he's like what the fuck who are you this is not my body because it's his head on a different body basically right different hands different hands all his joints are stitched together yeah Uh, he's in a lot of pain right and suddenly he's with this rich woman who's like i'm your uh mistress and uh my brother is your new master and you can stay here as long as you want she does it not unkindly, though. She's disappointed because she was picturing this, like, I'm going to reanimate this man, and he's going to fall in love with me instantly, and we're going to live happily ever after. Mm-hmm. She's very naive in that. She's, like, super, super smart. Like, she's a scientist, but she's, like, very naive in terms of, like, relationship stuff and, like, a lot of social stuff. Yes. She's pretty immature. Yes. Um, But... That doesn't happen. She sees that he's in a lot of pain, feels bad about it, and is like, okay, I got to take care of this situation, but also still kind of low-key hoping he's got a thing for me. This poor guy also keeps getting boners, and she just keeps staring at him. Because it's a different body. <laughs> I know. Um, and I think, I think the implication was that his like lower half was had belonged in life to this man who was like kind of skeezy. 
So he was like constantly getting boners. That was my interpretation of it. I could be wrong. That was how I read it. I don't hate that interpretation. I just thought it was another opportunity for Sally Thorne to make a dick joke. You know, both. Por que no los dos? Yeah, you know, that's fine. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so he's in a lot of pain and then she gives him a bath. Admires his body. I mean, why wouldn't you? But sure. like her handiwork. It's fucking creepy. Yeah. Um, she's kind of given him the rundown of like what went down. And he's still hella confused because he's like, This is not my body. I don't know who I am. So that's the he has no idea who he is. Obviously, like he has no recollection of like dying or who he was in life or whatever. Right. And so they are at an impasse. Almost. Angelica wants him to just like be in love with her. And he's like, I can't. I don't know who you are. And I don't know who I am. Mm -hmm. And there's this weird push and pull that he's feeling internally where I think he says that like my body wants you, but my brain does not at all. Right. So. And he like, he like throughout this kind of first act of the book, the first third of the book, if you will. He doesn't seem not open to like, like over time he warms up to her and he's like, you seem great, but I can't like let myself be in a relationship with you when I don't even know who I am. Right. So he's like, I mean, maybe we can do something after I figure out who the fuck I am. Right. But until then, hands off. Right. And then I can't remember at which point it is in this first act that it is revealed that so the the the, the reanimated bodies have traded hands right mm-hmm. and so on this monster that has run off is a hand with what is presumably a wedding ring on it right and it is the only clue they have to who angelica's man who they name will for the time being who will might be That's their only clue that they have right now. And it has run off and is nowhere to be found right now. Right. And so Angelica, this is the, well, this is one of many more morally and ethically shady decisions that Angelica makes. But the, the most egregious first bad decision that Angelica makes is to not tell Will about the existence of this wedding ring. But on the other hand, they don't know that it's a wedding ring. It could just be a ring. Right. They don't know. They don't know. Angelica is not an ethical person. Right. Both her and Victor are very, like, only science, only care about, like, this. Well, I mean, she's, like, I mainly care about love. But they're both, like, very, like, straight, like, we care about the science of this. Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, kind of the rest of it falls by the wayside. And Angelica's like, I care about the science, and I care about falling in love with someone. Even if I have to force build a man right. to fall in love with or whatever. Right. You kind of have to um, put your uh, reservations about, like, consent aside to read this book. Yeah, which is kind of tough yeah. at times. I think, you know... There's some things that Will says in the beginning of like, why did you do this to me? Where it's like, ooh, yeah, yeah, 
It's not cool to uh, take somebody's body from the morgue and dunk it in a barrel of afterbirth and bring it back to life. Right. What if he didn't want that? Which at first it seemed like, no, he did not. Which I do appreciate that Sally Thorne, like, at least brought that up. Right. You know, like, at least raised that question. Because it's not like I wouldn't have thought of it on my own. But I was in full on, like, I'm reading this fantasy novel, so I am, like, suspending all my disbelief. You know, I'm turning the part of my brain that puts up red flags off because this is a fantasy novel. Right, right. Um, so it's nice that she brought it up. Yeah. Because I was like, ah, this whole thing's pretty fucked up. Yeah. It's, again, real weird book. Yeah. Real weird book. But, okay, so the, the other thing that I want to point out early on is that this book is spiritually conceptually very much like a victorian era romance Mm -hmm. novel so there are a lot of classic kind of tropes or like scenarios that these two characters or these like handful of characters in this book find themselves in that happen a lot in say like the bridgerton books or whatever like angelica is like in love with will the first moment that she sees him you know that's something that happens a lot in those old kind of Mm -hmm. romance novels the way they speak to each other like the language that they use obviously is kind of of the time there there are all these different elements at play that i think i wonder if they affected your reading of the book since you haven't really read any of those like Victorian era, Renaissance era, like romance novels. It kind of did a little bit because it was definitely, like you said, different than all the other romance novels I've read, which have fallen pretty solidly in the contemporary camp. I found the dialogue really fun and interesting to read, especially between Angelica and some of the side characters Mm -hmm. and her brother. Um, Insta Love, I think, is one that I just generally don't always vibe with me too yeah like we talked about this a little bit with my killer vacation which was more insta lust right but you know i like a little more of a slow burn i do too i do too and and again with any romance novel you have to suspend your belief yeah this is not it's not real life but i think insta love is the least believable trope right for me which is why i have the hardest time with it but some people love it yeah, this was one that was in Maggie Moves On, where Silas, the male lead, like instantly falls for Maggie. And that was, you know, Maggie Moves On is a contemporary romance, but that was a uh, that was a weird one for me where I was like, yeah, sure. Okay, I'll uh, I'll let this slide for now. Yeah, and I think I have a, a far easier time with the insta-love stuff happening in these like kind of Victorian era romances because I mean if pop culture is to be believed that seems to be a thing that happened or at least people thought that it happened they were like oh I see that person and I'm attracted to them that means I love them yeah so I can I I don't have as much of a difficult time with it with like historical romance right so like with this that didn't really bother me that much I was like oh yeah she loves him because this is a historical romance well, you know, just for a lot of her uh, inner monologue is her kind of wallowing that she doesn't have very many suitors and that she also falls in love very easily. Mm-hmm. She names like a couple of the people that she had pined for, including like this elderly bookbinder yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> Victor worked with. 
So I think that kind of eased it a little bit into me of like, oh, she's somebody that just like, you know, she's lonely. So Mm -hmm. she falls fast. Okay, that makes it a little bit easier. And also, yeah, you know, she's kind of a weirdo. It, it, It is what it is. Yeah, like I mentioned earlier, she's just kind of a nerd. And so she like misses a lot of social stuff, I feel like. She's kind of an asshole. Yeah, but I don't know if it's always on purpose. I don't either. There will be a piece of dialogue in the book where she says something to someone and then her inner monologue is like, oh, why did I do that? Like, Ooh, why did I say that like that? Relatable. You know? And so I feel I feel like she's like, again, maybe a little lonely, maybe a little dorky. She's like used to hanging out just really with her brother. And she like doesn't have a lot of suitors, hasn't gone on a lot of dates. And like, I think she's just like an introvert and like maybe doesn't really know how to talk to people and just comes off as an asshole sometimes. And I don't say that to like write off some of the fucked up stuff that she does. Mm-hmm. But like I read it more of like this this poor girl is just like a little awkward. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you bring this up or you explain it that way now. I fall into this trap often where I will say something so rude and not really mean it. So... I give her a little bit more grace then, maybe. I'm thinking of this especially because I finally got to apologize for it, but I met some of my partner's friends for the first time last year when we went to his hometown, and one of them asked me what I did, and it was later in the evening, and mm. I'd had a couple glasses of wine, as we all had at that point. He asked me what I did, and I was like, oh, I'm a writer, I'm a journalist. And he goes, oh, I didn't know that. And I was like, what? Are you shocked? I'm not fucking boring. And... I thought about it the next day and I wanted to die. A um, classic Abigail line. Yeah. Uh, I'm a defensive drunk and it's not a great uh, look for me all the time. But I have a chip on my shoulder constantly, apparently. I can understand. I think anyone can understand Angelica being like, oh, I said something a little fucking weird. Yeah. And I'm a piece of shit and I should have said it this other way, but can't unring that bell. Here mm. we go. Perhaps I was doing that thing where you see other people do the exact same things you do and mm. you're so hard on them because you hate that about yourself secretly. Do you know what sure. I mean? Sure. Yeah. For sure. For sure. For sure. You you like go into defense mode and you're like, oh, that's a bad thing to do. Mm-hmm. I totally also don't do that. I have never done that in my life. Exactly. I have never said something unintentionally rude. Right. Right. Never. I'm flawless. <laughs> but yeah, so I think, I mean, obviously she does like some fucked up stuff and she is kind of an asshole, but I don't think it's always purposeful. I think she's just kind of a little weirdo. She... <laughs> they're both weirdos. They're, they're, this into every character in this book is there are no like mm, bonkers. There's like two normal characters. Right. Clara and Christopher. Right. Who have just become accessories to this madness. So getting to Christopher brings us to the next kind of major section of this book, which is Angelica agrees to help Will, the monster, find out. I hate calling him a monster, but that's what they call him in the actual Frankenstein, so I'm rolling I know. with it. I, I felt her doing that, or Sally Thorne getting to that kind of confusing point, too, where she was trying to describe Victor's monster. Right. And she just kept saying, like, the huge man. The I huge think is, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which, as Wikipedia reminded me, in regular Frankenstein, the original, if you will, they say awful things about him. It's yeah. like the creature, yeah, uh, fiend, right? Uh, you know, all those old timey, right? Old timey insults, fiend for yeah monsters. Whatever. So, so, so yeah, Angelica agrees to to help Will try to figure out his identity, which is a nice thing for her to do because she very much does not 
want to figure it out, but she's legitimately helping. The only way she's sabotaging it is by not not telling him about the ring thing. Yes. Um, We don't have to talk about it much, but for those keeping track at home, the first stop they go to is the morgue. Right. To maybe get a, get his name. They don't get it, but they make out in the morgue. Yeah, they do make out in the morgue at 22%. So pretty early on. Yeah. They have their first kiss. Yeah, and it's kind of the same thing where it happens and then Will is like, oh, God. Like, he feels guilty because he's, like, ha- still having this thing of, like, I'm super physically attracted to you, but something in my, like, reanimated brain is telling me that this is bad. So... They they come up with this kind of story where Will is, like, looking for... They say that he's looking for his twin brother or something. That's what they say at first, and then he he has to have, like, five different... Yeah, he they come tales. up with all these, like, cover stories for him um, because some people are like, man, you look mighty familiar or whatever. <laughs> anyway, so then they go to this military academy that's nearby where a bunch of young men live basically and they're like because they're like maybe will was there and died Mm -hmm. like maybe something happened or they find out that there was some kind of like fight or something or an accident or something yes there was an accident and so they go to the military academy to find out if will in his past life was involved and died right and angelica meets christopher keating's Will is waiting outside. She goes in alone. Right. And she meets this guy, Christopher, who like gives her brandy and is super nice. Yeah, is super nice and pretty helpful. Yeah, and like flirty but not like creepy. Right. And he basically like tells her like, you know, I'd like to take you out sometime. Yeah. Yeah, and she's kind of into it. She's not not into it. Does she just like the attention or does she like this man? That's kind of the question with him. Yeah, and I think she likes the attention because I think at this point she's legitimately like, okay, even though I like created Will to like be my forced lover or whatever, I think I do actually like the guy. Right. Um so, you know, we've got kind of a lead up to a love triangle thing. Yes, happening. Yes. And when Christopher shows up, I'm like, fuck, maybe she should just marry this guy. I don't know. And I think she kind of has that thought, too, where she's like, this kind of would be the easier yeah. path. If only I had met him a month earlier right? I, I reanimated this other guy. Wouldn't have had to like go look at dicks in the morgue. Yeah. Well, she may have enjoyed that. I don't know. Yeah. For, for, for someone who's never had sex, she is really obsessed with dicks. Yeah. <laughs> I guess if you're looking at them at a, in a scientific sense of uh, which one's going to be... To serve me the best as part of my stitched together lover. True. True. You know, there are options. Okay, so then this entire like middle section of this book is like fucking off the wall. So much happens. We cannot even go through it all. This is not even that long of a book. It's like 300 pages, but there's like so much fucking stuff packed in here. There's a lot of fucking plot. These people have such active social lives. I could never. Are you kidding? Oh my God. Are they not exhausted? 24-7 like house guests, dinner guests. Like the Frankenstein manor is like fucking bumping all the time. All the time at this point, which... It's kind of funny because in the beginning, she's like, no one's ever here. And then suddenly they reanimate this one guy and it's like, oh, fuck, everyone's coming to hang out. Right. So they make they make friends with the widow of the officer who was killed, 
Right. Obviously, turns, turns out it's not Will. It's not Will, but they take in this widow as their new friend. Uh, Angelica's obsessed with this baby. Yes, yeah, the widow has a baby oh, who, um, who's very cute. I I guess. Yeah, yeah, according to her. Yeah, he's a baby. I don't know. Lizzie shows up to stay because she and Victor are about to get married. She's like a playwright. She sounds fucking bonkers too, but she seems pretty cool. She, she is Angel- the most down to earth of this insane family. Yes. <laughs> uh, she and Angelica are good friends, but she also, you know, takes the whole, there's two reanimated corpses running around with, you know, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. She's she's aware that the Frankenstein family is a little uh, unusual. A little strange. Uh, so so a bunch of stuff happens. Like Will starts sleepwalking, um, which has got to be really terrifying to see like a zombie sleepwalking. Yes, he's looking for a book in the middle of the night, which like relatable. He tells Angelica that he'll never marry her in his sleepwalking state. Yeah, so she's upset. There's so much that happens here. Lizzie is like very level-headed about the love triangle situation and is like, what if you made these two men fight for you? I don't know if I'd call it level-headed. I think she just enjoys the camp and the drama of it all. But it, it is what I would do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She's level-headed about being like, don't write Christopher off. Mm, yes, you you're know, right. Because Angelica's like, I'm in love with Will. And Lizzie's like, let's see what this other guy has to say. Yeah. Will is somebody you built in your barn. Maybe this other guy's good. So she's basically like, why don't you make them compete for you? Because Angelica is like, I think Will likes me back, but I'm not really seeing it. Like, I can feel it, but he's not, like, doing anything to, like, try to make a move. And I'm sitting here reading it, and I'm like, because he doesn't know who he fucking is. Yeah. In fact, he's actively making sure he doesn't make a move on you. Right. Right. But Angelica's like, I don't know, man. I just have this feeling that he's into me. And, like, of course it turns out she's right. Right. But Lizzie's like, you need to make him work harder for it. True. Great advice for all men. Yes. It, it is great advice, but I absolutely think you're right. And I think Lizzie is like, I'm going to sit back and watch what's about to go down here. I very much relate to Lizzie. This is absolutely this. what I would do. Yeah. Would you not do the same? Right. Yeah. I totally would. Especially I mean, if I was in, like, you know, 1800s England and right. this was the only entertainment around. Literally. I'm always in it for the story. Let's watch this army officer and a literal reanimated corpse fight right. <laughs> for a woman. It's a, It sounds great. Very Jane Austen of this whole thing. There's a dinner party. They form a secret society. And I'm like, what's, why? What? <laughs> The whole like they're that, like so little so many little side plots. Yeah, there it's Will tells them all that he was found on the side of the road and he was, you know, never dead, but he has amnesia. But basically he brings them all into this plot to figure out who he is, but obviously he can't tell everybody he's a corpse. Mm-hmm. So that that's all you need to know about the secret society. <laughs> also at this point, like Will is like yeah, Will is like building this ho- apparently there's like other houses on their property. He's just being a handyman. Yeah, he's like renovating the entire Frankenstein like compound. Right. But there are apparently all these little cabins and so he starts renovating one for himself because it feels improper to sleep across the hall from Angelica because he wants a fucking boner. Yes. There's like a really dramatic moment where Angelica offends their like long time of decades housekeeper, but she does it on accident because she's not very smooth. No, she's trying to tell Mary, the housekeeper, that 
Which, Mary, love that there's a Mary character, obviously. Obviously, there's a Mary character. Right. We had to have a Mary in there. But she's telling Mary, suggesting that it's time for Mary to retire without telling her, you can still live here. Right. And so Mary leaves. Right. And right. then... Mary's like, oh my God, you're firing me. And this is like, y'all are my family. Like, what the fuck? Right. And Angelica's like, oh my God, I didn't tell her that I wanted to, her to like stay here. Yeah. Angelica is very clueless when it comes to uh, money. Yeah. And not having it. Right. Yeah. Because the other piece of this is, if you haven't figured it out by now, they're they're hella wealthy. They're fucking loaded. Yeah. Like, at one point, she gets mad and, like, throws a bottle of perfume into the fire or something, which, like, in the 1800s, I don't know what perfume costs, but, like, perfume right. now is expensive. Exactly. Would you do that now? No. no. Yeah. No, I still think about that I dr- remember when I dropped <gasps> my entire bottle of my Burberry perfume. That was like two years ago, and I'm still upset about it. I do remember that. That was a heartbreaking moment. I, I was really upsetting. Anyway, so so Mary runs off, but this is actually a very important part because she found the big man. She did. In so the woods. She's upset about what happened with Mary, and she goes off. She's basically walking around. I think she's going to Will's now house on the land. Oh, yeah. She's trying to, like, sneak over there and, like, get some comfort from him. Yes. Because she's upset about this, like, altercation. Yes. And instead of Will, she finds the huge man. Yeah. And she sees the ring on his hand and is like, oh, shit, this is my chance. And she tries to approach him. And then Victor and Will are coming out, too, and yelling and things like that. And he gets scared and basically, like, flings her into a tree ragdoll style. Right. And she's it's, uh, unconscious. It's very uh, Grop from Harry Potter. It really is. And Hermione. Because the, 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 the huge man does not mean to hurt her. He just gets scared. Right. He got scared. And he can't talk either. So he can't communicate very well with anybody. Yeah. He's basically like, I didn't ask to be born. What the fuck is going on? So this is like... I guess the climax of the action, if you want to <laughs> call it that. Um, they've also been like talking to this. There's this priest in town who's been kind of a side character up until now. They know this priest because when their parents, when their mother was dying yes. of scarlet fever. Okay, so we also know about the Frankensteins is they are adamantly unreligious yes very very you know science-based exactly uh and a part of that is some residual trauma of the priest telling them to pray their mother's scarlet fever away and then she dies Mm -hmm. and then their father dies months later presumably from a broken heart so victor is like "Mm -mm, no religion none at all at, like to the point where he's like, I won't be friends with anyone who's religious. Like, they've just got a bunch of like shared family trauma. But then Lizzie is insisting that they get married in a church. Mm-hmm. And so that leads Angelica and Will to check out this. Conveniently, they have a chapel on the property. Yes. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? And they go check it out. They have kind of a tender moment in there. But also, Will is like, I don't remember who I am still. But he also, in the chapel, realizes 
that he's pretty sure he was a religious man yeah. in his past life. Yeah, because he's like, I'm like drawn to this space. I feel like safe here. Right. And he also notes he feels offended when Victor says sacrilegious things, things like that. And as they're leaving the chapel, they see the huge man again. Yeah. And now he can talk. Yes. Because Mary has been like teaching him how to talk. Yes. Because he has Mary. That's the big revelation here is that he has Mary who has been missing for days and nobody knows where she is. And now we know where she is. Yeah. She must have like been walking across the property or something and he like scooped her up. Yeah. But Um, that's that might be kind of the climax. Yeah. Yeah. This whole little like chapel big man, which leads into like the emotional climax of this book, which is when Angelica goes to see this priest, the priest who told her and Victor to like pray the scarlet fever away. And so this man all around fucking sucks. Oh, yeah. He's corrupt. He's got like this big ruby ring on. Yeah. He tells Angelica they need more money so they can put in like a marble pulpit. Right. And but it's they- like pretty clear he's like skimming off the top. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very clear. Like this village they live in is completely impoverished and he wants an Italian painter to come and fix their bust of Christ. Right, right. Yeah. It's super shady. There's like some speculation that he's like selling bodies or some shit. Like selling bodies to the morgue. Yeah, they suspect that at one point. I think they figure out that probably not. But but it's believable because this guy is so sketchy. Yeah. Not not a not a good man of the cloth. Right. And he's also like a bajillion years old. Yes. Yeah. Ninety. Which at that time I assume is like being I don't know, like one, 120 this yeah. year. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this is a big deal because like Angelica gets some intel that there was this younger priest who was supposed to like take over for this old ass man um, and he never showed up. Yeah. And as they are standing in the cemetery where her parents are buried because he basically guilts her into going to look at their headstones or whatever. Uh, Angelica had asked earlier, like, when are you going to get a replacement? You're a billion years old. And he points out this one grave and he's like, that was supposed to be my replacement, but he's dead. And the name on the headstone is Arlo Northcutt. Yeah. And so Will shows up. The guy faints. Yeah, the priest just, like, (laughs) heals over. Which, like, wouldn't you? Right. Yeah. He's like, yeah. He's like, I saw a fucking ghost. Um, So we know who Will is. So Will is a priest. Named Arlo Northcutt. Yeah. So we got a hot priest. (laughs) Hey, you know I love a hot priest. We got a hot priest. What was that book that you read about? Hot Under His Collar by Andy J. Christopher. I recommend it. That's right. It was so absurd. Yep. We got a hot priest again. Yeah. Shout out to Andy J. Christopher and also Fleabag and all the other hot priests running around. Yeah. But yeah, we find out Will is a priest or was a priest. Yeah. Which adds quite a bit to the sexual tension. And another another piece of this that we haven't really been talking about, um, which is not super important, but if we're talking about like the um, complication of Will's attraction both physically and emotionally, or Arlo, excuse me. Now he's Arlo, yeah. moving forward. Arlo's uh, attraction to Angelica is that Angelica really, really wants kids. 
mm-hmm. and they don't know if this reanimated dick um, can uh, fulfill that. And so there are like multiple layers of like a priest wanting to have sex, wanting to have a perhaps a family. It's it's all very complicated. It was already complicated, but now it's even more so. Yes. And what I had, uh, as we were talking about this earlier, it's like, is this like commentary on purity culture? Oh, that's interesting. Of where throughout the book up until we know who he is, Will slash Arlo is like, yes, I want you so badly. But he's like, I just can't. I can't do it. Right. And which we which we discover is like probably this like residual priestish right where he's like I'm not allowed to like want these earthly give in to my earthly desires right exactly which you know sure right and then so Arlo slash Will knows who he is suddenly and then is not long after able to uh, bang Angelica yeah he's like. Apparently that priestly guilt kind of goes away. Once you find out you were a priest. He's just like, fuck it, I know who I am, so I'm not stressed anymore, so like, let's do it. Which is also kind of a strange emotional beat of the book of where Angelica is going to see Will in the middle of the night and then these random men on her property and they try to attack her. And one huge man shows up and breaks three of their necks and just, like, leaves them in a pile. Right. Uh, Christopher is there, too. He shows up after the fact. Yeah, this is, like, the last scene of the movie that you're like, why is everyone here? Right. It literally <laughs> is. All the, like, man characters show up to save Angelica, who is okay. But we find out huge man's name is Adam. Mary has named him Adam. They get a look at the ring, and it's got a cross on it. So just like further confirmation. Yeah. Basically. And then Will takes Angelica back to his little cottage and then they literally just have sex for a day and a half. Yeah. They just, it's it's very Twilight. Yes. Then there's like all this other weird shit that goes down where like they, Christopher's pissed. Right. Because he's like, you don't have amnesia. You're a reanimated corpse or some shit. <laughs> so then he like schemes to dig up the grave because he's like, I gotta find out what the fuck is going on here. Yeah, he shows up at the at Blackthorn Manor where they live with a representative from the church and like the town magistrate and like con- not with literally with pitchforks, but that's what it feels like. Yeah, they, like, it's very like let's kill the monster. Yeah, this is this is like the point in Beauty and the Beast where they all mob the castle. Literally, yeah. And they all are like, well, we'll just go dig up the grave, right? Sure. And then like <sighs> the priest. Gets involved. He basically blackmails Arlo to stay there and not be with Angelica, even though, you know, they've been doing it and they want to be together. And he's like, I'm going to tell everybody about them and they're going to burn Angelica at the stake. Right. And he basically blackmails Arlo into like staying there so he can retire. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I want out. I want to go live my life of luxury with all my millions that I've skimmed off from the church. And then Arlo agrees, and then literally a page later, he dies. Yeah, he, like, collapses. He's been, like, kind of losing function in some of his, like, limbs and, you know, outer extremities, basically. So he collapses, he dies again. Again. 
Yeah, Angelica spends like 36 hours just keeping him alive. Yeah. He's this poor guy. He dies like two more times. She just keeps bringing him back. And then Victor figures out he just like needs blood. Right. And so, yeah, they do this complicated blood transfusion between Angelica and Arlo and... There's, like, some symbolism here that she's, right. like, literally using her own life to, like, bring him back to life. Mary shows up again. She's right. fine. Again, the gang's all here. The gang's all here watching. Mary's like, I'm sorry. I thought you were kicking me out, which upset me because y'all are my family. Right. They figure out that these blood transfusions are, like, necessary to, like, keep the reanimated corpses kicking. Yeah. So Will gets to... Or Arlo, I should say, continues to uh, live. He and Angelica get married. Adam is hanging out on the property with Victor and Lizzie. He's no longer a priest. Arlo's no longer He's a priest. He's no longer a priest. You and know, she- I was really hoping that this was going to end with some kind of like very forward thinking. Like, I can be a priest and also be married and we can be progressive, you know? No. Nope. Like, that's where I was hoping it was going to go. Nope. It's not. He... Father's a child. Yeah. Turns out that turns out the second biggest dick in the morgue still works. Which, okay, so you're telling me this guy can't produce his own blood, but he can produce viable sperm? You know, if um, my high school sex ed classes are to be believed, you, you, you only need the one sperm. Just only one. one needs to get through. Just one living with sperm. Just one sperm. They have a baby. They yeah. live in away from everybody else. They travel the world. They have a baby. Everyone lives happily ever after. It's very sweet. The the sure. Yeah. The end. <laughs> so <laughs> we've we've already kind of talked about this, but overall impressions, Abigail. This book this was book. so fucking weird. Yeah. This was a tough one for me. I slogged through it, especially yeah. once I hit like forty percent. And just as we've kind of talked about, so much happens. Right. To the point where it's kind of hard to follow. There's a lot of like side characters that are coming and going who have all kind of weird different motivations. Uh oh yeah, Christopher and the widow get married. That happens, so you know, he's fine or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh I I don't know, maybe I couldn't get past that she was fucking a dead guy either. But I don't know. This was this was a very strange one for me. By the time they started actually fucking, I had like kind of low key forgotten that he was a dead guy. So so it's kind of nice that they didn't do it until like I didn't forget, but I had like moved past it kind mm, of. Yeah. So maybe it's kind of good that they didn't do it until like pretty close to the end. Oh yeah, I'm glad like you know they did it when he was presumably not like popping stitches and bleeding everywhere yeah, or whatever. and presumably like able to consent yeah yes yeah yes. i think you know as uh i think it's he's been living with them for three months at the point where they you know finally get together he's decided that yes i want this i want to be with angelica so you know of course we always have that underlying issue of should he have been brought back to life right but you know I don't think this is a book that you can ask too many existential questions of. No. I was also, <laughs> earlier on in the book, I was getting uh, frustrated with 
Angelica and Will and they were kind of like bickering back and forth and like Angelica would get all upset and be like why don't you love me or something like that or like kind of wallow in her insecurities and I was like god I wonder if this is gonna be like real Frankenstein where he murders her at the end oh shit because in actual Frankenstein the monster does murder Victor Frankenstein at the end or no he doesn't murder him but he kills all his friends and family basically yeah and I was like, is he going to murder somebody? Yeah, that one does not have a happy ending. No, it does not. Uh, it has a very, very sad ending. Yeah. But I um, don't know. It was an odd one for me. I, uh, you know, I feel like we do spoiler alerts for these episodes if they're not obvious enough. But I'm also kind of like, does it really matter? I don't know. Just kind of hear about this weird book. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I mean, this this was this was a weird one for me also just because it was a weird one i didn't dislike it i mainly i think very early on in the book it clicked for me that i was like oh this one's just gonna be a good time Mm -hmm. you know like i'm not gonna ask too much of this book and it is not gonna ask too much of me Mm. i'm just Mm -hmm. gonna let it be what it is which is this like ridiculous thing yeah and so like once that clicked for me I was able to move through it just with the mindset of like well this is fucking weird and funny mm-hmm. I wonder if after you had told me about it being fan fiction I just applied more of the ridiculous aspects of fan fiction to it mm. of like the like the one direction genre of fan fiction or whatever where it's like way 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 over the top right and not, this is over the top, but it's, I don't know. This is a weird, weird kind of genre. Well, and this felt to me similar to, you know, we've talked about this before. I've read like a handful of like Disney mm-hmm. movie retellings. Yeah. Um, And this felt very spiritually similar to that mm-hmm. Um, because it kind of is what it is. I mean, what are those other novels if not Disney movie fan fiction? Um. And so I think, like, since I had, like, a category to put it into, Mm -hmm. like, I was able to slot it into this place in my brain where I was like, okay, this is not, again, this is not a book I'm going to ask too much of. Mm -hmm. Like, I know know this is is just going to be, it's October 1st, and I'm reading this dumb Frankenstein (laughs) book. Yeah. Yeah. All of that being said... I'm still, even though this was bizarre, I'm still like a fan of Sally Thorne. And I know you haven't read any Sally Thorne. No, this was my first Sally Thorne. Yeah. So the fact that you didn't love it, don't let it put a bad taste in your mouth. No, I don't think it will. I think, you know, I can respect that she tried to do something real weird that she admittedly knew was weird and went for it. I think that's fine. And I think this is a book, too, that you benefit from reading the acknowledgments at the end because you, yes. you then you register and I'm glad I told you to do it because then you register that she also does not take this book super, super seriously. Right. And so I think maybe what I wanted from it was one, a more simplistic plot that leaned maybe more into it being really fucking ridiculous. Right. But instead, we kind of got a more complicated plot where a lot happens like seemingly at the same time. Right. You got a lot of side characters with different plots and motivations. But these historical like Victorian era romances yeah. are like that. You know, like there are 500 characters in every fucking Bridgerton book. That's true too. And I don't know who half of them are. 
That's true. You know? So I think she was very true to the, like, genre she was trying to emulate also. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I can't blame her for doing something weird. I know. And she she said in the author's note, too, that this was, like, a pandemic. Like, during isolation, she was writing Frankenstein fan fiction. Yeah. So, I don't know. I didn't do that during the pandemic. I was less productive. Exactly. So who am I to judge? (laughs) But Well, I mean, yeah. I just thought this was, like... Like, I, there were just so many moments that I just, like, found myself laughing because it was just silly. Yeah. And I think if you, like, to anyone listening, if you've made it this far and you haven't read the book, um, it's just know, know that we're both a little 50-50 on this one. Yeah. But if you're able to just go in and be like, I just want something fun, like, turn my brain off. This was great for me during my, like, busy work season mm, mm-hmm. because it was extremely, like, candy. Yeah. Um. So I think if that's what you're looking for, then it's it's worth picking up. If it's not what you're looking for, then maybe, maybe go for a different Sally Thorne. Yeah. Or I, maybe read our next book with us. Yes. What a great segue. (laughs) Abigail, would you like to do the honors of reading the blurb this time? Yes, I would love to. So our next spooky read for October is Go Hex Yourself by Jessica Clare, which came out in April. So hopefully some of you have already read it. But, you know, it's about witches, so we're going to do it in October. So here we go. When Reggie Johnson answers a job ad in the paper, she's astonished to find that she's not really applying for work at her favorite card game, Spellcraft, The Magic King. Instead, she's applying to be an actual familiar for an actual witch, as in real magic. The new job has a few perks, great room and board, excellent pay, and she's apprenticing to a powerful witch. Sure, the witch is a bit eccentric, and sure, there was that issue with the black cat Reggie would prefer to forget about. Like, what? (laughs) Okay, whatever. The biggest problem, however, is warlock Ben Magnus, her employer's nephew, and the most arrogant, insufferable, maddening man to ever cast a spell. Reggie absolutely hates him. Yes, enemies to lovers. Love it. He's handsome, but he's also bossy and irritating and orders her around. <laughs> Ben's butt might look great in a crystal ball vision, <laughs> but that's as far as it goes. But when someone with a vendetta targets the household, she finds herself working with Ben to break a deadly curse. Apparently, when they're not fighting like cats and dogs, things get downright bewitching. So, that's our next book. I like that she's not the witch. I know, yeah. I feel like all the ones that I, the witchy ones I've read so far... She's the witch. Yeah. And then the guy is either also a witch or not a witch. Yeah, or some other supernatural being. So there we go. Go Hex Yourself by Jessica Clare. The blurb on the front is from Allie Hazelwood. So if you're a fan of her, she enjoyed this book, called it the sexiest, most bewitching take on enemies to lovers I've read in ages. Yes. Ooh, I'm excited. I'm really excited too. I'm going to, maybe I'll start this tonight. Oh, what a great segue. Great. (laughs) Katie, what are you reading right now? So I decided that I'm going to use this month to make my way through like every Halloween-y anything on my TBR. 
Um, I'm like not letting myself read anything else except for this nonfiction book I'm reading about the Galapagos Islands. <gasps> wow. Um, Did you go to the Galapagos recently? <laughs> I, kn- I knew you were going to be, knew you were going <laughs> to react that way. It's a very interesting book about evolution. It won a Pulitzer. It's very good. I'm not shitting on it. You I know. should read it. It sounds great. Yeah, it, it is super interesting. It's about finches. So I'm learning a lot about birds. Anyway. I love finches. Yeah. Did you know there's a species of finch in the Galapagos that perches on the backs of the boobies and pecks at them and fucking drinks their blood? Oh, my God. They also drink the blood of their own dead. I thought this was going to be a cute fact. No, they're called <laughs> vampire finches. <gasps> Ooh, spooky. Isn't that wild? Um, anyway, so that's the only, not, I mean, it, I guess it is still kind of spooky. That's the only spooky yeah. bit that's come up in the book. I mean, yeah, that's pretty spooky. That one's called the beak of the finch for anyone who cares. Um, but the current spooky read that I have going on right now, a few years ago, I read the first book in the These Witches Don't Burn series, and I think it's just a duology. It's by Isabel Sterling. It's YA, like witchy lesbians, essentially. They're great. It's very cute. I read that a few years ago, and then I got the sequel, which came out in 2020, but I had never read it. And so then I just reread the first one again, Mm -hmm. and I started the second one, This Coven Won't Break, today. Okay. So that's what I'm reading right now. Mm. How is it so far? So it's gotten mixed reviews, like both online and from people that I know in real life. I think it's a fun, like October, very light read. So I'm going to do that, but I'm not far enough in it yet. So maybe I'll switch to Go Hex Yourself. I don't know. Yeah. So I'm in the middle of 100 Other Girls by Iman Hariri Kia, which we mentioned on our last episode mm-hmm. of being probably like, Devil Wars Prada. Is it? Kind of. There's like a, it's funny because in the early on in the book, uh, so it's about an assistant at a magazine that sounds a lot kind of like Rolling Stone mixed with Teen Vogue kind of sort of thing. So it's not like a high fashion magazine. It's kind of like a, like a cool indie music cultured magazine. It sounds very Like nylon. Yeah, like nylon. Yeah, it's called vinyl, so it probably is exactly like nylon. It probably is, yeah. (laughs) But uh, there's, it's funny because early on in the book where she shows up like on her first day, she's getting a tour and they're like, did you think this was going to be like Devil Wears Prada where you get a makeover? Uh Uh-huh. And I was like, I sure did. Yeah. Uh, So I'm about halfway through it. I had to take a pause to do uh, Angelica Frankenstein, so I need to pick it back up and finish it because I am determined to finish it it's it's very Gen Z. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to end up feeling about this one because the protagonist is a little frustrating at times. Uh, and also there's just a ton of kind of Gen Z speak in it, which even though I am technically Gen Z, I'm on the older end of Gen Z, which is a weird place to be. And uh, I don't I don't know how I'm feeling it. But the main character is um, Iranian-American. And offers a really good perspective of what it's like to grow up in New York City after 9-11 and the challenges that come with that. And being like a woman in media and being a woman of color in media and things like that. So so I feel I feel like I want to finish it. We'll see how I feel at the end of it. But right now the main character is frustrating me. And I think it might just be because she's young and naive. So. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I hold a lot of my heroines to a high standard and I don't always need to do that. And I think I need to start trying to break out of that. So that sounds healthy. That does sound healthy. 
I worked that out on my own. <laughs> well, as always, thank you all for listening. Our next book, again, is Go Hex Yourself. So go ahead and pick that one up from our bookshop page if you would like to support us. The link is going to be in the show notes, but it's also bookshop.org slash shop slash 50% pod. Or if you just search like 50% podcasts on bookshop, you'll find us. Um, we make zero dollars, negative dollars from this podcast. So we do. If you buy our books from there, if you're going to buy them anyway, you could support us. We get a little kickback and so does the independent bookstore of your choice. Yeah. Also, you can get a free book from us right now. Uh, yeah, we are doing a giveaway on our Instagram page of Angelica Frankenstein. So if you want to give it a shot, if you just want to get a free book from us, the giveaway ends on Saturday after this episode comes out. So yeah, go find it on our Instagram page and help. I don't know. Participate in our first giveaway. I'm sure we'll do another one at some point. Help me get rid of 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 a, of a book in my house. Yeah. So for um, reference, that is Saturday, October 15th, 2022. Yep. That that giveaway will end. Yep. Tell your friends. Yep. Get a book. Get and probably a, book. a nice note from us. We will write you a nice note. Yeah. We would love to write you a nice note. Yes. So as always, thank you guys and we'll see you next time. Yeah. See you next time.